Hi, I'm Gertrude Keesley, and this is Kingdom Consciousness. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come, Matthews 24, 14. Before Jesus returns to set up his kingdom in its final form, the gospel of the kingdom must be extended throughout the nations of the world. In order to preach the gospel of the kingdom, we as kingdom citizens must understand the kingdom of God. Before we can become custodian to the keys of the kingdom, we must first experience kingdom living. In the past, much emphasis has been placed on the life and ministry of the king of the kingdom jesus christ and rightly so but not enough emphasis has been given to the gospel of the kingdom jesus told the religious leaders of his time ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for ye neither go in yourselves neither suffer them that are entering to go in matthew 23 13. It was this gospel of the kingdom that was the central purpose of Christ's life. He began his earthly ministry by declaring the arrival of the kingdom. That's, you can find that in Matthew 4.17. He ended his earthly ministry by speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom, Acts 1 and 3. In between the beginning and ending of his earthly ministry, the emphasis was on the kingdom. Luke 4.43 says, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. The kingdom of God was the greatest concern of Jesus. His teachings and parables focused on the kingdom. His miracles were a demonstration of the kingdom of God in action. The phrases kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are used over a hundred times in the books of Matthews, Mark, Luke, and John. We will explore the distinctions between these two. We are told to seek first the kingdom, to pray for it and to preach it. We are told how to enter the kingdom and taught that residency in it requires a new lifestyle. God is equipping his citizens to become kingdom minded so that we can understand the business of the kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the king. Everything about us is royalty, but we must first adopt the mind of Christ in order to understand what that actually means. We cannot have a poverty mindset and expect to grasp the reality of how much God desires for us to prosper. But there is a greater purpose than just understanding kingdom principles. Citizens must go beyond mere knowledge of the kingdom 
to actually experience it and make it the central purpose of our living. So I invite you to come and go with me as we explore this most exciting, interesting, and eye-opening subject. Here is the scripture that's been weighing heavily on my heart, and I just decided I would do some research and share it with you. It's one that we often quote and we often hear quoted, Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. We hear that often. Life's waiting room is a place where time seemingly stands still. It's a place where life is put on hold. When we are in the waiting room of life, it seems as if progress has come to a screeching halt. This is how it feels sometimes when we wait on the Lord. One of the important exhortations of the Bible is the call to wait on the Lord. Even though God promises special blessings for those who wait, waiting is one of the most difficult exhortations of Scripture. Why is it so hard? Because as part of fallen humanity, we are so prone to take matters into our own hands and to follow our own schemes. Yet over and over again, we're told in scripture to wait on the Lord. We don't like to wait. And when we think of waiting, we're apt to respond with this word, wait or this phrase, phrase. Wait, that's what made the bridge collapse, smart mouth. Of course, that word is W-E-I-G-H-T, not W-A-I-T. But then when you really look at it, the two words are not always unrelated. Because one of our needs while waiting on the Lord is the need to cast the weighty W-E-I-G-H-T-Y burdens on him. Uh-huh. Did you know that an eagle knows when a storm is approaching long before it breaks? The eagle will fly to a high spot and wait for the winds to come. And when the storm hits, the eagle sets its wings so that the wind will pick it up and lift it above the storm. He knows just how to do this. While the storm rages below, the eagle is soaring above it. The eagle doesn't escape the storm. It simply uses the storm to lift it higher. It rises on the winds that bring the storm. Isn't that interesting? So when the storms of life come upon us, 
We can rise above them by setting our minds and our belief toward God. The storms don't have to overcome us. God will strengthen us during our time of waiting. His power will lift us up above the dark clouds so we can ride the winds of the storm that bring sickness, tragedy, failure, and disappointment into our lives. God is not asleep, and he's not just standing on the sidelines observing. He is right there in the fight with us, lifting us up so we can soar above our storm. Isaiah is telling us that waiting, which is also translated hoping in the Lord, is when we expect his promises to strengthen us and empower us to rise above the distractions and difficulties of this life. We must trust in God. Without trusting that he will never fail, we become weak and disheartened, which plunges us deeper toward despair. When we patiently expect his deliverance, this is our remedy from the afflictions and tribulations of this earth. You know, most everyone has experienced anxiety or anticipation while waiting for something. And a lot of us dread waiting. But through the, uh, the prophet Isaiah, the Lord tells us that waiting can actually be a good thing. And sometimes we think of waiting as wasted time, such as like when you're waiting for a plane to take off or when you're waiting in line at a grocery store. Now, this kind of waiting, it doesn't require much action on our part. It's mostly just a matter of biding our time. This type of waiting is also usually paired with frustration and impatience. Consider, think about it, how you feel when someone you are waiting for is late. By the time that person arrives, Lord, you may be so upset that you had to wait, that you don't really appreciate that they finally got there or what you were waiting for. Now, this is not the kind of waiting that Isaiah said could renew our strength. On the contrary, impatient waiting tends to leave us physically and emotionally exhausted. So what kind of waiting is Isaiah describing? The Hebrew word translated as wait also means to hope for or anticipate. So when I add my own interpretation to this, I like to think of waiting in terms of a waiter in a restaurant. I used to be a waitress in a restaurant. So in this sense, to wait on someone is to serve that person. A good waiter, a good server gives his or his customers excellent care and attention by checking on them often, learning their desires, attending to them. So when I adopt this attitude toward the Lord, it adds purpose to the time that I spend waiting for a particular blessing. Time seems to pass more quickly when I'm diligently working to serve God. Also, it's through this work that I renew my strength. You know, 
The same amount of time will pass whether I'm squandering it in anger and impatience or whether I'm using it to serve the Lord and his children. Choosing to wait upon the Lord, or if we view it in another way, to serve him, yields far more satisfying results. So when I shift my attitude from one of just waiting to waiting upon the Lord, it shows me that waiting can be a good thing after all. This perspective has opened my eyes to the gifts that God has given me. And most of all, it's given my life renewed strength, purpose, and meaning. We wait all the time. We wait to fall asleep at night. We wait for responses to emails. We wait, I look and I see the Amazon truck making deliveries. Somebody has waited for Amazon to come. We wait for our paychecks to hit our bank accounts. We wait for people with whom we're sharing Christ to respond to the gospel. We wait. We wait all the time. We wait on the Lord to act, to deliver, to save, to answer our prayers, to provide for our needs, to renew our strength, to do what only God can do. The scriptures say, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Even the young, the fit, the strong will experience exhaustion and an end to their strength. Everyone will need to rely on God and wait for his help. Just think about it. This particular passage is talking about waiting on the very God who measures all the water of the earth in his hand. He knows the exact weight of all the mountains and the islands and the hills. He sits on the throne above the earth and watches us. My Lord, this is the God that we're waiting for. He brings the stars out every night and calls them by name. This is what the passage is talking about. This is who we are waiting for, the almighty God. This is the God on whom we wait. And we wait on him because he is God and we are not. He can accomplish what we can't. We wait on him because we are helpless without him. Hallelujah. Waiting is something that is only possible within time. So God, the creator of time, is not limited by time. When we are waiting on him to act, he has already one scripture say, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as, one, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. That's in Peter 2, that's 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. God is patient with us. He understands waiting. His concept of time is nothing like ours, and yet his timing is perfect. 
Listen to this story that proves this. In John 11, it tells the story of Lazarus, who was a friend of Jesus. Lazarus got very sick, and his sisters Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus. But instead of hurrying to help, Jesus delayed his arrival on purpose, and Lazarus died. By the time Jesus showed up, Lazarus had been in the, in the grave for four days. This was intentional. Jesus' plan was to raise Lazarus from the dead, revealing his glory as the resurrection and the life. Listen, Jesus knew that Lazarus would get sick before he ever experienced symptoms. Every day ordained for each one of us was recorded by God before one of them came to be. That's Psalm 139.16. Lazarus' days were literally numbered, and so are ours. Before Mary and Martha sent for Jesus, Jesus already had a plan, and his plan involved making them wait. My God. The God who calls the stars by name is not surprised by the circumstances of our lives. He knows. He has already known. He has always known. And waiting is a part of his plan for us. So we might as well get that in our spirit. If God acted immediately, Every time we cried to him, we would be in control and not him. We would call the shots, and we do not possess his wisdom. So having to wait causes us to learn to trust God. We also, as the people of God, have many times of trials in our lives. Times that bring us down to tears. There are times when all seems to go well, and we can say with David in Psalms 36, in my prosperity I said I shall never be moved. But then the Lord sends a trial, and everything begins to collapse upon us, and we feel as if the roof is falling down on our heads. We begin to ask the question, does God love me? Does he care? What about this sickness? What about this, this affliction? What about this trouble in my marriage? What about all this stuff that's coming on me? The trouble in my home, the troubles in the church. In Psalm 27 and 14, God comes to us with the final word of counsel, a final and an all-sufficient word of wise application and relevant to every one of us, no matter what trials we face today. That word is wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. In the midst of our trials, we begin to say, I can't bear this. I don't understand what's happening. 
I might lose my job. I don't have my family. My, I mean, I'm breaking, I'm grieving. Look like everything is just falling. I'm afraid about death. We, we go through all these things. Will I survive? As a young person, we can become filled with anxiety. We say to God, my hope and my desires are being withheld from me. Then we look out into the world and we begin to ask the question, what's going on? Is there going to be a war? What does all of this mean? There's a word of God that comes to us, an all-sufficient word. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. That is a word that comes to you as a parent. It comes to you as a father, a mother. It comes, that word, it comes to you if you're grieving over death of your loved one. It comes to you as a young man or a young woman who is confused and wondering what you ought to do in this present life. It's a, a word that comes to you as an elder, a deacon, or a pastor as you confront many trials in your church life and you wonder what it is, what it is all going to lead to. The Lord says, wait on the Lord. I will continue this next week. God bless you. Have a great day. Wait on the Lord.